Wow. You know, last week, that was some sermon, wasn't it? Coming out of the letter of James that Pastor Stephen preached. Kind of felt like it was one of those sermons that slapped me upside the head. Uh, really like, good, yeah, there we go. You know, it's, uh, it was kind of painful at times, kind of uh, difficult at times. But, you know, don't get me wrong, it was definitely needed. I think a lot of times we, we, maybe just me, but we tend to need sermons like that, that really call us to the carpet in some ways, because you know what, far too many people go about their days professing Christ as Savior, yet they do so without having a shred of evidence that supports their profession. But even though we need sermons like that, I am praising God this morning that we are not in James. <laughs> you know, this morning we have this opportunity to look at Psalm 1, which is a softer, gentler passage of Scripture. Now, the only thing I am praying is that personally I can pull off soft and gentle? I'm not sure if I can, but I'm surely going to try. As we turn to Psalm 1 this morning, I suggest that if you do not have a Bible of your own to actually turn to Psalm 1 in, that you do yourself a favor. I mean, on the chairs, many of the chairs, on the little racks underneath, there are copies of God's Word. And, and as a church, we give out those copies of God's Word because we desperately want people to know God, to know who God is, to know how much God loves them, how much God cares for them, and how much God has done for them, and how Truly, God does have all of our best interests at heart. And the only way we're going to know all of that, the only way through the years that I have, I have learned and comprehended and understood the love of God and I have gained confidence in God is through the reading of His Word. You know, the, we only understand and know the love of God to the extent that we embrace Him through his word, through the Bible. So please, if you don't own a copy of God's word for yourself, take one of the copies of these Bibles home with you, write your name in it, call it your own, and learn about how much God loves you and what he has done for you. By now we've turned to Psalm 1, so let's begin by reading it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. 
The wicked are not so, but are like chaff, that is, that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Father, I just ask that you will exalt your Son, that you will exalt your truth as I bring forth this message this morning. Please give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, a will to act upon what we hear this morning. Personally, I just love, I absolutely love the feel and the flow of Psalm 1. I mean, so many of the psalms I've preached, this is, I think, the fourth or fifth psalm I've preached here, and so many of the psalms are just filled with, with this all-over-the-place raw emotion, anger, confusion, despair, despondency, suffering, pain. I mean, and at times just this exultant joy and, and gratitude. But Psalm 1 has a real kind of calm confidence and quietness about it. Now, if you didn't notice it, I'll point it out, Psalm 1 has no title. It's one of 34 psalms that have no title. So we really don't know who wrote it. Some think that maybe King David wrote it. Others think think that the person that took the 149 other psalms and compiled them together in in a group that as kind of an introduction to the psalms wrote it. We don't know who wrote it. But we do know this, that God inspired someone to write it. And because God inspired somebody to write it, it deserves our full attention. Psalm 1 begins, blessed is the man. Got to kind of do a little housekeeping or whatever here. You know, man in this verse can be rightfully understood to mean the person or the one or the man and the woman, male and female, as long as we add a condition that the underlying Hebrew word adds, and that condition being that whoever this individual is, he or she is a godly individual. Also, it is rightly understood in Psalm 1 that the word blessed can also be exchanged with happy. Some translations say happy is the one. The reason that this can be done is, the again, the underlying Hebrew word denotes a happy and joyful satisfaction. It's speaking of this happy and joyful satisfaction, this blessedness that stems from godliness and from knowing God. And the final thing I ought to point out is some of our translations maybe don't begin Blessed is the man. They begin, how blessed is the man. Some translators have added that word, how, because the, the Hebrew word for blessed there is actually in the plural. So they put, how blessed. And I suppose, how blessed does read much clearer and more smoothly than multiple blessed is the one. 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. I love, when, I love going through Scripture, and I love reading it, and whenever I see a progression of events or a progression of things that happen, I, I just focus in on them. I mean, early in James, there was actually a progression, and that progression was along the lines that our, our, the desires of our heart, the ungodly desires of our heart, lead us to temptation, and that temptation leads us to sin, and that sin finds itself in death in our lives. So there's a progression. Here we have a progression. Walks, stands, sits. It's a, it's a change in posture that is associated with three things, not that the godly person does, but three things the godly, godly person avoids. The first thing we are told that the godly, you know, multiply blessed person avoids is the counsel of the wicked. Or, as wicked implies in this verse, the godly person avoids the advice of the ungodly. Avoids taking advice from the ungodly. Walking in that advice. The second thing avoided by the godly person is the way or the path of sinners. And finally, the third thing, this multi-blessed godly person avoids is the seat of scoffers. So we have a progression there of posture, a change in posture. But you know what? Unlike most of the progressions, if not all of the other progressions that I find in Scripture, this particular one could have been written backwards and made sense. I mean, walks, stands, sits could have been written as sits, stands, walks. Logical progression in either direction. So I have to ask, why? Why does it say walks and then stands and then sits? And of course, only God knows because he's the one that inspired the writer to write this psalm and to put it in the order of walks, stands, sits. But there are a few observations I would like to share this morning. My first observation is that walking with the ungodly and taking their advice often leads us to a place where we find ourselves standing neck deep in sin. At which time, it becomes far too comfortable to just sit down and scoff at the Word of God and kind of start saying things like, well, you know, I tried God, but He didn't work. Now, my second observation concerning possibly why we have walk, stand, sits is that when we walk in ungodly, unbiblical advice, most of the time we grow more comfortable standing, kind of lingering in the presence of sin. So much so that eventually we find ourselves so relaxed in sin's company that it's like we, we sit down and we say, hey, sin, you don't frighten me anymore. So how about we just sit in fellowship a while? 
Now, I have one final observation concerning walks, stands, sits. And this is my observation. I suspect, I don't know this for a fact, just speculation. I suspect that whoever wrote Psalm 1 was not a young man. Um, I, I believe he was a man much closer to the end of his life than to the beginning. I suspect that now. I may not have suspected it when I was younger, but now I do because it may surprise people. I'm aging. I'm getting older. I was just telling Marilyn on the way here, I woke up this morning and I just thought, wow, 20 years ago this month, I was called by this little church to be their interim pastor, and that gig lasted 16 years. And where has that time gone? Because I've been here over three. It happens so quickly. And I've learned that, you know, a couple of things about aging I'll share. First off, aging has some downsides. (laughs) More aches more pains, and somebody tell me what this whole thing is about when you wake up in the morning and your joints are so stiff they can't move. (laughs) And I'll tell you what, this old body can no longer handle the five-alarm hot sauces that it once did. (laughs) 25 years ago when Marilyn and I moved to New England from California, we had this little shelf in our refrigerator, and it was Jeff's shelf of pain. You know, hot sauce is like scorned woman, you know, and stuff like that. Hot sauces that had these little disclaimers on them about, you better not eat this, you're going to have a heart attack. But at the same time, aging also has upsides. Now, one upside to aging is that as my body wears out, I long more and more to leave this old classic for the new body that is awaiting me in the land across the Jordan, where there will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more stiff joints. Maybe at the wedding supper of the lamb, there may be some good hot sauce. In in that progression, walks, stands, sits, I see the fleetingness of youth. When I was younger, I walked. In fact, I chased after a whole lot of things that seemed important at the time. A larger house, a nicer car, a bigger raise, a more impressive title, prestige, elevated status in the workplace, extravagant vacations, and more and more impressive toys. And when I was younger in my 20s, 30s, 40s, there were a whole lot of people, most of them ungodly, giving me all sorts of non-biblical advice to follow as to how to get those things I was seeking after so much quicker. How to get rich quick. How to buy a home without any money down. How to leverage my income so I could have more 
and more and more. How to get ahead at work without having to work hard. All kinds of ungodly advice from so many sources, from co-workers, from friends, from family, from magazines, books, radio, TV. Okay, I just gave away I'm old. There was no internet. <laughs> I mean, how much more insane it must be for the teens and the young adults of this generation who have to contend not only with the ungodly advice from those sources I just referenced, but also have to navigate through all the advice of the social media platforms that they are connected into. And how anxious and confused and depressed and despondent and downright tiring it must be for those who walk in the council of social media who take non-biblical advice from memes, who dwell upon mindless video clips hour after hour and fill their minds with words of podcasters who call into question every truth of God's word. Okay, preacher, take a breath. Softer, gentler. <laughs> you got this. Okay, so let me just say it this way. As a man who's been walking with the Lord some 46 years thus far, today I am fully confident that God's ways are good. That God's advice far surpasses in quality and in truthfulness the advice anyone else has to offer especially chat GPT or any other AI search engine. You know what? I will take God over a computer program any day. And if JB were in the room, he would shout a loud amen to that one. He don't like computers. Amen. So I believe the writer of Psalm 1 to be old because I hear in the words of Psalm 1 the words of a man who has sat down at the end of his life and reflected upon his long life, a man who sees how truly good God is and how trustworthy God's ways are and how truthful the word of God in his life has proven itself over time. Marilyn and I were talking this week about how truly grateful we are to God, that God early on revealed himself to us and gave us his wise counsel, the wise counsel of his word, so that we would avoid the ungodly advice the sinful ways, the scoffing attitudes towards God's that we watched over the past 42 years destroy marriages, ruin families, separate friends, and cause such great suffering, sorrow, pain, and, and even death. We're so thankful that God protected us from all of that. You know, in Psalm 1, the psalmist writes, and he lays out two 
parallel paths. There is a contrast in Psalm 1. Psalm 1 contrasts the path of the godly with the path of the ungodly. And it clearly points, as we continue through, it clearly points to the truth that God and His ways are good. In fact, they are the best ways. Whereas verse 1 tells us what the godly, multi-blessed person avoids, verse 2 tells us what he or she embraces. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The law there can be taken a number of different ways. It can refer to the law that God gave his people Israel. It can also refer to the ways of God, the truth of God, the instruction of God that we receive in his word. We're told in verse 2 that the godly, multi-blessed person embraces. He, he delights in, she delights in, has a deep longing and pleasure in God and his ways. A godly, multi-blessed person treasures the law and the instruction and the wisdom and the knowledge and the advice of God above all else in his or her life. So when, upon receiving the advice of the ungodly, or seeing the way of sinners, or hearing the scoffing of unbelievers, this godly person Psalm 1 is talking about turns immediately to God and to his word, asking, but what is your advice, Lord God? In what would you have me walk? How best can I stand upon the truth of your word today? So verse 1 has told us what the godly person avoids. Verse 2 has told us what the godly person embraces. And verse 3 now gives us and tells us a great benefit that stems from that avoiding and embracing. For it says in verse 3, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither in all that he does he prospers i'll tell you what another thing that age has taught me is that i need to always read the entirety of god's word cover to cover and as i do that i need to look for patterns kind of repeated themes similarities, and I just love to look and focus upon the continuity of Scripture, where one thing is said in multiple places and all to the same end. When I read verse 3, immediately my mind jumps to the book of Jeremiah, and they tell me in the sound room they're going to be able to put Jeremiah chapter 17 up here in a minute. But my mind immediately jumps to Jeremiah chapter 17, because we see a very similar wording, kind of a, a similar image. In Jeremiah chapter 17, 
in, the Lord says this, in, starting in verse 5, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. And then in verse 7 we read, Blessed is the man. Hey, there's that word, blessed is the man again. You know, earlier on when I mentioned uh, the progression in James, that little paragraph there also started, blessed is the man. Verse 7, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Boy, two passages that are speaking about the same thing. Love the continuity of God's word. Love how important messages are repeated over and over as well. Blessed is the man. And based upon Psalm 1 and Jeremiah 17, there is a list of attributes that we can kind of come up with that describe this godly one. And the very first attribute is he or she has been planted Planted. The word planted implies that there was a planter and that there is something that has been planted. The man or the woman of God who is multi-blessed is one who has been planted by God whose roots and its foundations are upon God. The godly, multi-blessed person has not planted him or herself. But it is the sovereign will of God and his steadfast love that has planted that man or that woman in Christ from before the foundation of the world. Blessed is the one who has been planted by God. A second attribute of the godly, multi-blessed individual, we've already discussed that he or she listens to, delights in the advice and the instruction in the way of God and his word over the advice of the ungodly and the way of the sinner. Now, a third attribute of the planted individual is that he or she makes God his trust. The godly man or the godly woman trusts more in God than anyone or anything else there is. Their hope, their foundation, what they rely upon, their trust is all found in God and nowhere else. And the fourth attribute of the multi-blessed individual from these two passages is that he or she is deeply rooted. So much so deeply rooted that when drought comes 
and the scorching heat arrives, when tribulation or persecution is upon them, they are so deeply rooted that they remain nourished. You know, we hear Jesus tell the woman in John chapter 4, the woman at the well, I'll give living water. Whoever drinks it shall not thirst. We hear Jesus say that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Deeply rooted in Christ means that the nourishment comes from God so that that deeply rooted person continues to bear fruit even in the midst of the most anxious cares of this thorny world. The person of God has roots and finds his or her nourishment in the very Word of God and in the very Spirit of God in Christ who gives life. Now back in Psalm 1, there is a stark contrast between the godly man and the ungodly man, and that contrast continues. For unlike the godly tree, in verse 4 we read, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Now in the day when Psalm 1 was written, if a farmer grew some grain, maybe some, some wheat, some barley, something like that, and wanted to separate the kernel from the husk, the farmer would willow the grain, typically by throwing it in the air. And what would happen when the grain went up into the air, the heavy kernel, the heavier kernel, would fall to the ground to be collected and used while at the same time that lighter, worthless chaff was blown away by the wind. As the life of the godly person continues in fruitfulness, we're told in this psalm that the life of the ungodly withers away, eternally amounting to nothing in the end. And you know what? Another benefit of getting old is I know that's true. Because I can look back over my life. Yes, I praise God that Marilyn and I did not, you know, fall in the schemes of the devil, that we did not fall to the advice of the wicked, we did not fall into the path of the sinner. We did not fall because of the words of the scoffer, but I have to be kind of truthful here. There were times that I did act on unbiblical advice. Tripped me up a little. There were times that I did not avoid the way of the sinner's a couple of times I probably shouldn't have listened to the words of the scoffers. Those who told me that I could not trust in the Word of God needed to trust in some other means. But I'll tell you what I know, looking back, 
Are those times when I did these things that I should have avoided? The so-called fruit that they produced in my life was not lasting fruit. Quite frankly, it's buried in a landfill somewhere. Don't even know which place it was buried. Ungodliness produces really smelly garbage you've got to get rid of. Got to love verse 5 here. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Verse 6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. <laughs> when I read that about the the wicked not standing in judgment. I've got these pictures in my mind again from the Bible. A couple places. I think Isaiah talks about it. I know Revelation does. Got this picture of the second coming of Christ. And all the ungodly kind of cowering and hiding and calling the rocks to fall upon them and hide them. Which is a real contrast to what Jesus tells us who are planted in his kingdom to do. In Luke chapter 21, you know, Jesus is talking about the events that will surround his second coming. And, and what he says in chapter 21 to those who are listening, he says, starting in verse 25, and he says, And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken and they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. And then in chapter 21, verse 28, Jesus says this, Now when you see these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads. Good picture of a tree there, standing. Because your redemption is drawing near. When Christ comes again on that great day of the Lord, there will be some, the ungodly, the withered shrubs that are going to be hiding from His presence, whereas the trees planted by God who receive their nourishment from God and His Word they will stand tall. And not only at that point, we're told, we're referenced here that the righteous will also stand in the congregation of the righteous. The ungodly won't, the wicked won't, but the righteous will. What is this congregation of the righteous? It is an eternal congregation. It's eternal assembly. You know, the last sermon I preached uh, from here was Psalm 22, a couple of weeks before Easter this year. And in Psalm 22, after kind of the description of the crucifixion and such, we are told that the one who was crucified, who died on that cross, declares this. He says, I will tell of God's people to his brothers in the congregation and sing his praises to God. In Hebrews 
chapter 2. Now, there's another book that goes by an unnamed author. But in Hebrews chapter 2, we're specifically told that after tasting death on behalf of God's adopted sons and daughters, Jesus is pleased to call us, to call them brothers and sisters. And then the author in Hebrews goes on to point to Psalm 22 and he says, and those words concerning the congregation where the the name of God will be professed to brothers and sisters, those words are actually pointing to Jesus. So there is a congregation coming. There is a great assembly coming. And that assembly is the assembly of those who are blood-bought, wrath-spared, Christ save sons and daughters of God that are spoken throughout Scripture about. I mean, I see pictures of it in the remnant of Israel, in the inclusion of Gentiles in God's assembly, such as Rahab and Ruth. And in one way or another, we see it in like Daniel 12. We see it in Isaiah 53, and we see it a couple of times in the book of Revelation, one of which is chapter 5, where the accomplishments of Christ are sung out by the congregation of the righteous gathered together in God's kingdom, by those who are godly and multi-blessed. And the congregation sings in Revelation chapter 5, Worthy are you, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Oh man, how happy, how blessed is the one who walks, stands, and sits forever in the eternal congregation of God, the one who today is finding his or her delight, his or her deep longing, his or her pleasure in God and his ways, the one whom God has planted. Whether you are young or old or somewhere in between, I so desperately want you to know God the good of who our God is and how much. And I'm speaking from just my 46 years. There are some that have many more years than that walking with the Lord. But from my 46 years, I want you to know that our God is good and his word and his ways can be trusted. So let me just end this morning with that note. You know, the only thing I would have done different if I were writing Psalm 1, I probably would have had a nice sailor at the end. Just like, reflect on this, brothers and sisters. How good and how faithful and how true and how our God can be trusted. But let me end on that note. So, if we're a follower of Jesus, if we've already been planted in by God, if we're already standing in the eternal congregation of the righteous, which we actually see pictures of that as well, that we have already been caught up and are standing with Christ, 
If we are the ones who know that it is not because of any of the works that we have done, but because God has acted mercifully upon our behalf. If Jesus has all, is already pleased to call us brother and sister, then I suggest that we consider responding to Psalm 1 in repentance and faith. Let's repent of the times we've walked in the advice of the ungodly. Let us repent of the times that we've stood too long in the way of the sinner, lingered a bit too long. Let us repent of the times that we have entertained the word of those who scoff at God's word or mock God. And then let us quietly sit, reflect upon, and relish in the faithfulness of our God. Of how he has ever so graciously proven to us time and time again the truthfulness of his word and how we can trust in it and in him. But what if we're not a follower of Jesus this morning? What if we actually like walking in the advice of the ungodly? What if we have no qualms about standing upon the path of sin with sinners? What if we ourselves scoff at the thought that the word of God, that the Bible can really be trusted? Is there any hope for us? If we're still trusting in our own strength or our own intelligence or our own money or our own goodness to earn us a place in heaven, is there any hope for us? If our entire life up to this point has been nothing but worthless chaff. Yes, yes, the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is yes, there is hope. Everyone in here at one point, the Bible teaches, was just like that. The Bible teaches that each and every one of us deserves judgment, deserves punishment from God because of what we have done in rebelling against Him and not trusting in Him or His Word. The Bible teaches that apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are all wicked, sinful scoffers. We are all the people that Psalm 1 points to that are not on the good path. But the good news of the gospel is that even though we are sinners, God still loves us so much that God, the Son, took on the form of man, being born of a virgin, and he lived the entirety of his life from child to adult as a human on earth perfectly delighting in and obeying the law of God. And yet, even though he was sinless and could not be accused of any sin that he had committed, even though he was sinless, the Bible teaches that Jesus offered himself up as a sin sacrifice in crucifixion and in death on behalf of us. 
that he upon himself took the punishment due us for our rebellion, for our sin upon himself. And the Bible tells us that we know that that is all true. Because once Jesus was punished in our place, God rose him from the dead. Rose him from the dead, a new man that that we one day would also be resurrected as he has been. God rose him from the dead so we can trust in that truth that we have been forgiven of our sins and so that we can walk in assurance and confidence that one day we too will be planted in that assembly, standing in that assembly, that eternal congregation in heaven. So if this morning you walked in these doors... The wicked one that Psalm 1 talks about, know this, that you can leave here the righteous one. That, that great exchange where Jesus takes the blame for your unrighteousness and credits to you his righteousness. That can happen today. So the good news is, if up to this point you have never yet confessed your sin to God, if you have never yet asked God to forgive you, you can do that this morning. And if you don't know how to do that, ask Stephen, ask me. Seek out one of the other leaders in this church. Man, we'll be happy to just walk you through that. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for inspiring Psalm 1. Thank you that we can find confidence in your word, that we can find confidence in you, that we can trust your word, that we can trust you. Thank you, Lord, that you give us good advice. Thank you, Lord that you show us the way, that your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Thank you. We thank you also for the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and that he is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters, not because of what we've done, not because of our goodness, but because of his goodness and because of what he has done. We are so thankful. Lord, please be with us. Help us. Help us to find rest in, in you. Help us to receive nourishment. Help us that our, our roots would go deeper into you, into your word, into your spirit. And Lord, be with those today who maybe for the first time see their own sin, see their need for a Savior, and turn their heart to you, we pray. We ask all this in your glorious name. Amen.